Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Thank you guys for coming. I know summer is here. It's warm. There was two people here at 1030. Got a little worried, but we've got a few more here, so that's a good thing. Well, this morning we are continuing our wisdom series. This is actually part seven, and this is entitled To Have and To Have Not. Now, next week I am going to be concluding part of this, at least in the Proverbs, I think, with Proverbs 31. And I encourage you ladies to be here because I want to rescue you from Proverbs 31 and maybe all that you've been under with regards to that. Um, I hope that it will be liberating for you in a lot of ways, but we are going to be kind of concluding the Proverbs section of this next week. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the Jumbotron at the FIFA Women's Soccer Tournament, Go USA, Who is the Lord, The Opposite of Gratitude, First World Problems, and The Big Lie. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter, I mean, yeah, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. In Proverbs, it starts and it says this, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This is really more of a prayer than a saying. You know, as we've been going through the Proverbs, we've been getting these sayings that have these, you know, nuances to them and this expression of wisdom. And this is really more of a prayer, but what an interesting prayer. And I love how it starts off. When it starts off, you know, two things I ask you, Lord, do not refuse me. There's a almost an impoliteness to this. There's a directness to this. You know, so many times when we think of prayer, it's very benign. It's very just kind of sedated. It doesn't have force to it. It's almost like talking to the sky without really any emotion or depth to this. And there is something behind this prayer where they're saying, do not refuse me before I die. In other words, I need this to happen in my lifetime. And it's very curious the two things that they ask for. Of all the things that you would pray and ask for before you die, what would they be? 
Would it be these things? Probably not. At least they weren't for me. This wasn't on my radar. You know, these are the two things that I want. You know, keep me from falsehood and don't let me be rich or don't let me be poor. That seems very strange to me, but I, again, think that there's so much going on underneath this that it is very revealing. And it helps us to maybe get a hold of what is being said here and see how it connects to us. Now, prayer is one of these mysterious things that we are always trying to find out more about. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And prayer really is taking what is in us and bringing it to the surface. It's giving expression to what lies within you. It's giving voice, giving thought, giving awareness to these things, whether it's anger, fear, frustration, desire. I I need guidance. I want justice. I need help for healing. You give expression. You give language. You articulate the things that are going on in you, and that becomes prayer. It is a movement of what's in and bringing it out. And here he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. I'm going to start with the second part first, and then we're going to go back to the first part. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, if this reminds you of Jesus saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, it should, right? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And the wisdom tradition was very much a part of his culture and a part of his learning and a part of his expression. In fact, you're going to see a lot of what is said here has a lot of similarities to the Sermon on the Mount. And so if it's reminding you of that, it's meant to. It's meant to connect us to what God is really trying to say. And what a strange prayer. When was the last time you prayed for just enough? All right. I got to be honest, I usually pray for more, okay? I'm usually, Lord, I could use some more. I could use some more. I seldom pray, Lord, I have too much. In fact, I've never prayed that, right? I'm always like, Lord, I want more. I need more. At least that's my impression. Here he's saying, I need just enough. Now, I saw a post on Instagram, and it was of a family that was at the FIFA soccer tournament in France. And there was three people in the picture and there was the couple and one of them was ecstatic because I don't know what part of the game it was, whether uh, France tied it or the U.S. went ahead. I think it was when France scored and they were excited that the French scored. The other person was very distraught that that person scored. And then the child was looking at the jumbotron because their family was on it and they were shouting for joy, right? And so you have this dynamic of, you know, I'm not happy, I'm really happy, and look, it's us on the jumbotron. And I think it's interesting because we can be focused on what we have or what we don't have, but oftentimes what it does is take our focus off where we are. And really what's happening in this prayer is a prayer asking that you would be present and aware of where you are at the time. 
So instead of thinking, oh, look at all I have and holding on to this embracing of the things that you have or in the place where, oh, I need, you actually be in a place where you can think about where you are and what you have present. That's my grandson back there making those noises. So it's a beautiful sound. (laughs) And it's as if the writer wants to be the kind of person who's not stressed about the future because they know they have all that they need. And because of that, they can be present in the moment. I wonder how much of your stress and your worry is really about what's going to happen instead of what is happening. I would wager that if you are concerned about something, if you are stressed about something, it's probably something that is going to happen and is not something that is actually happening right now. You can be worried about you know, finances and having enough money to make rent that's due tomorrow, next week, whenever. But usually it's not what's happening right now. And so we start thinking more about what's going to happen instead of being alive and present right now. And I think this is more important, right? Being present is more important than having. It's more important than not having. It it is actually being aware of where you are and living fully there. And when we're worrying about things, most of the time the things that we are worrying about have no effect on us at the present except their ability to make us worry. And so we're giving power to something that isn't here because we're worried about when it comes. And what would happen if, as Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough on its plate, right? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, and yet your father takes care of them. Won't he take care of you? So don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All the other things will be added to you. Again, there is this presence that we are to be aware of, of God having in our lives. And it's curious what he says. Otherwise, the reason I don't want too much or too little, he says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, you could connect this to and lead us not into temptation, right? Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's very similar. I could have too much and say, who is the Lord? I could have not enough and dishonor the name of our God. And there's history behind the words that are being used here. When the writer says, Lord, and the name of my God, he has something very specific and clear in mind. And many of the English translations where it says, who is the Lord? It'll be a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
And this was a name that the Hebrew people had given to their God. Now, when we use the word God, it has such a broad meaning, or it can, or it even should. I mean, what do we mean? People have been trying to name the divine for since the beginning. I mean, even kids think about God, and then they will ask, ultimately, well, if God made everything, who made God, right? Because they're wanting to know, well, what's going on? And really, if you were to ask who made God, well, we did. Now you think, well, wait a second, what are you saying here? It's we gave a name to give expression to something that we cannot fully understand, and so we have to give it some kind of meaning. Because the definition of God is that of which there is nothing greater, right? So there is something behind this, something behind this, and God is what's behind everything. But it is also something that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend, at least our understanding. And the more we learn about our universe, the more we learn how vast things are, the more we recognize how big God must really be. And if we don't even understand all of what we can embrace, how can we even think we can fully understand God? And and so naming God is something that we do so that we can start to get a little bit of understanding of something that is much bigger than our ability to fully understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or is he like, oh, stop it. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Even in scripture, God has many names. He's deliverer. He's healer, right? He is warrior, he is provider, he is love, he is father, he is judge. Why? Because they were trying to put words to who God was, yet words were not enough. In fact, the Hebrew people could not write out the name of God because it was considered too holy. Even today, you'll have someone who is Jewish, when they're writing God, they will leave out the O. They'll put G-D. Why? Because they don't want to say the name because it is not something you should take for granted. And it kind of goes into the taking the Lord's name in vain. It doesn't mean saying a curse word. It it, it means bringing it to be less than what it really is. And so the writer here uses the name that the Hebrews gave to their God who delivered them from Egypt when they were saved. That's where this name, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, comes from. And it's important because it's part of their narrative. It's part of who they see and identify God as. See, if you're a slave and the slave owner rules in the name of their God, are the gods okay with that arrangement? Are the gods okay that some people are owners and some people are slaves? Well, if they are Egyptian, they're saying yes. Remember what Pharaoh said to Moses? Who is the Lord? And he uses that name. Who is this God? 
that you're worshiping because here are our gods and you are in subjection to us. So our gods are definitely stronger than your gods because that was the mindset at that time. And this really is the central part of the Hebrew story. Genesis is believed by many to be kind of a backstory to the point of God's delivering the nation from Israel, that the Sabbath is there to help remind them that they are created for more than just work, that they were doing seven days a week constantly. And so at that time and at that place, which is how we should always interpret sacred text, is in the context of when they are written and what they were written In regards to, at that time and in that place, the question is, are the gods okay with this arrangement? Are the gods okay with slavery? To the Egyptians, of course they were. Our gods have arranged for us to be in power, for you to be our servants. And the power of this Hebrew story, the backbone of their belief is that no. God is not okay with this. He has heard their cry and has sent someone to deliver them. This is not okay. The situation is not all right. And that, by the way, is why there is that battle between the gods that takes place in Egypt, where all those plagues that take place are actually the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. What's going on there? The story is to confront this dynamic. These gods think that they can be over us and enslave us. This God says no, and this God is going to prove himself superior to these gods. And so that that story informs what is being expressed here when he's talking about remembering the Lord remembering that God, the God who has delivered them from slavery. This God is this Lord, is the God of the oppressed. And so this name carries with it that power. Liberation, it carries the history of a God who is not distant, but who actually delivers those who are enslaved, who delivers those who cries out. The story informs what's being expressed here. It's a recalling of all these events, a reminder of who they are, a reminder of the times that they were enslaved, the times that they were hungry, the times that they were in need, the times that they had nothing. It is a reminder that there was a God who heard you through all those times. And so even when Martin Luther King in his famous speech quotes Theodore Parker, who is an abolitionist, and he says that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This is what he had in mind, that God delivers those who are enslaved, that God is there to bring about this freedom, this release, this justice. And that finds its roots back to this story. Is the universe, is God okay with some people oppressing and enslaving others? Or is it not? And does it bend towards justice for those who are oppressed, those who are enslaved, those who are abused, 
those who are needing justice. It would be a mistake to think that our God is bigger than your God. Our God is better than your God without understanding that this God, this Lord, hears the cry of all who are oppressed, all who are in a place of injustice. That it's not something that we can own, that it's not a God that becomes ours, that it is a God who is beyond us, who is greater than us, a God who we need to recognize beyond ourselves. Otherwise, I may too have too much and say, who is the Lord? You see, he's saying, I don't want to be like Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that we should listen to him? He says, I don't want to have so much that I say, who is the Lord? What? Who is the Lord that I don't really need him? I don't want to be in that same place. I may, if I have too much, forget that what I have is a gift. It's a gift of your goodness. It's a gift of your grace. I may lose my sense of gratitude. I may forget where I am. I may see myself in a place of possessions are what define me. Instead of life as something that comes from you. I may lose that gratitude. And the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. When you think you deserve it. When you think you deserve all this stuff. You deserve this success. You deserve this wealth. You deserve to have this life. You deserve these things. It's an idea of your owed rather than your odd. Right? I'm owed these things rather than I'm in awe of the God who provides anything. And that's a huge difference, right? Odd is when you're overwhelmed with what is. Odd is being present. It's jumping for joy because you're on the jumbotron, right? It's being aware that look what's happening right now. I can be present and I can be in awe of it. Did you guys see the sunset last night? Oh my goodness, right? Walked outside and it was like the sky is just on fire with purples and pinks and reds and it was in awe. See, or I can feel that I'm owed things. I'm owed a life. If I get too much, I might lose that sense of connection to the source, to God. Lose that connection to what God has done. And I forget my liberation. I forget why I'm rejoicing. And this is something that happens. It happened with Solomon. Right? Solomon inherits this kingdom from David. And, and he builds this kingdom and he builds this elaborate you know, temple for the Lord. And then he builds even a bigger house for himself. And to build his house, he enslaved people, even enslaved Hebrew people. Solomon became like Pharaoh. 
where he started obtaining things from him for himself. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, it's talking about, hey, when you have a king, and it's talking about this knowing what is going to happen because they're writing after the fact, he must not take many wives. Solomon had a lot of wives. Or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. That's exactly what Solomon did. And pretty soon it was all about his power. It was about his success. It was about what he had. The wisdom writer sees the peril of wealth and the entitlement mentality that thinks it deserves more and forgets who they are. You're enslaving these people. You have forgotten who the Lord is. The Lord who delivered people. And now you're enslaving people. And the scriptures are very subversive in their writing. The the prophets were there to bring about the awareness to the things that the leaders were doing that were unjust. They were there to, to cause conflict to where they were at compared to where God wanted them to be. And so they would say, get rid of your sacrifices. Do I want your sacrifice? No, they're abomination to me, says the Lord. What the Lord desires is a sacrifice of a contrite and broken heart. God cannot deny that. Oh, all your other things, they mean nothing to me. I am the Lord who heard the cry of those who are being abused. You know, we often joke about our luxuries, right? We call them first world problems. You know, the dishwasher's broken. Oh man, I've got to wash the dishes by hand. First world problem. The air conditioner's out. Oh my gosh, it always happens at the worst time. It's terrible. It's so hot right now. First world problems, right? And these are all luxuries. We don't recognize that most people don't have air conditioning. That so many people don't even have running water. Right? Let alone a dishwasher. Let alone hot water. Right? I've been to Mexico and Haiti. Sometimes there is no hot water. And you just take a shower and whatever. Sometimes there's no water. Right, you turn on the faucet and this little trickle comes out and like, okay, guess no shower today. You know, even though it was 100 degrees and humidity was 100%, it's like, that's just how it is in so many places. And we are staying in one of the nicer places. Right, the, these are luxuries and, and we forget about these things and we develop anxiety. Oh man, I can't believe the air's out. And we're so worried about that and we got to get this fixed. And anxiety develops when we lose touch with really what's happening, the present. Those, those luxuries, those first world problems start to steal our presence, our focus, forgetting how far we've come and all that we have. Whatever difficulties have been in your past, whatever things are going on, you have made it to this place and you can be thankful. You can still be thankful if you have water. You can still be thankful for the things that you do have. 
where riches can lead us to be forgetful. Who is the Lord? Poverty, on the other hand, can lead us to be desperate. My desperation can lead me to desperate things that would dishonor the name of the Lord. See, again, it's connected to the name. It would lead me to dishonor who you are. And so the desire is, I don't want to have too much and I don't want to have too little. How many times have we made foolish decisions because in haste we felt desperate? Oh, I got to do something. And we did it. And if we would have just waited, ah, it would have been better if I would have taken my time. But in panic, I worried and I did something that I shouldn't have. I made a decision that wasn't wise. And now what strikes me is that there is no guarantee to what will happen. You're not guaranteed you're going to have a lot. You're not guaranteed you won't have a little. Again, this lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Really, Jesus was saying, there's going to be trouble. Help me through the trouble. There's going to be difficulty. Because deliver us from evil is not just moral evil, it's difficulties, it's struggles. Help me through the struggles that I may encounter. Help me through the times when I go through lack. Help me through the times if I have surplus. Now, most of us don't see us as having surplus, right? It doesn't, even when I get a raise, I don't have enough, right? Even when, oh boy, I got an income tax return, it's spent, right? It's like, oh, I know where that money's going. See, the whole idea here is deliver us from evil or trouble. It's not a guarantee that trouble won't come, but we want help when it does. We want awareness of where we are in relationship to who you are, God. So that the character of God shapes our decision, influences how we act. Which brings us to the first part of this. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Now, When I read this, the first idea is, yeah, I don't like people to lie to me. I don't like people to be false. Keep that away from me. But this is really talking about something internal. See, it's not talking about keep people from lying to me. It's keep me from lying to myself. Keep me from telling lies. It's a self-awareness, telling yourself the truth about what's happening in you while life is happening to you. Because the big lie tells us either that we're nothing or that we're everything, right? It tells us that we are just slaves and we don't deserve anything but to work and to just grind through. It lies to us and takes away the image of God that is meant to shape us and our awareness, Or it tells us that we're owed everything and we see the speck in everybody's eye but is blind to the log in our own. Keep falseness or falsehood and lies from me. It's creating me a clean heart. Help me to acknowledge the log that is in my own eye. Help me to be aware of 
who I really am, and it is in relationship to who you really are. You know, I have such a hard time with people who in the name of Jesus feel that others are less than them. Right? It's like, well, those people, they don't know the Lord, so they're like this. Or who see other people in this kind of category. You know, oh, the Lord blessed me and gave me this. And then demean other people, gossip against other people, talk low or talk down to other people. That is so uncharacteristic of the nature of God. And it bothers me when I see even people who have religious systems that believe in these things, that we are the elect, we are chosen by God and they are not. So we are here and they are there. And it really bothers me. Sometimes I get so frustrated with these people and then I start recognizing that I am calling them these people and alienating them from God just as they are alienating these people because we are all people. And God loves them, and God loves them, and God loves me, and God loves you. And there is no these people in the eye of the Lord. Anyone who cries out to him becomes his people. And sometimes I get blinded to my own weaknesses and I can easily cover them up with all my self-righteousness about all the other injustices that I see. And I can fill myself with an awareness of scripture and I can use those things to help Keep my sin hidden. And I can point out the speck in everyone's eye and be blind to the log in my own. Again, there's so many similarities in this passage to the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not an accident. This is the wisdom that comes from God that has been from the foundation calling out to us. She calls out from the walls. She invites us to her house. She wants us to embrace her. And that wisdom comes from God. And so much of this is about remembering. It's an important part to this tradition. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when the Lord brought you out. Remembering is the connection to the reality of where we are. Remember how you were here. Remember that you got through that. Remember God has brought you here. Remember so that you don't worry about tomorrow because he was faithful then. He will be faithful today and he will be faithful tomorrow. But if my fear, if my worry, if my anxiety starts to dominate my conversation and what I think is I need more than I am blind to what I really need. Even in recovery, it's such an important part to recovery that they give chips out to you. 30 days sober. One month sober. Well, one month is 30 days. (laughs) One year sober, right? Right? Why? Remember, you've made it this far. There's a faithfulness connected to that remembrance. Remember, look where you've come from. Look where you are. And it's one day at a time. Recovery 
when you get those chips, it's meant to remind you that you have made it. And the first step in recovery is to acknowledge that you don't have the strength to get past your sobriety, to get it and do it on your own. Now, there's two falsehoods that we need to be aware of. Again, one is to think too little. The other is to think too much about ourselves. We can lie and still live lives as slaves. We can lie to ourselves and still live as if we do not deserve the freedom that God offers and not recognize that just as God sent Moses to deliver them from Egypt, he has given us Jesus to deliver us from sin, from death. Or we can think we are entitled and become like Solomon, believing we are entitled to get whatever we want, even at the expense of those and the world around us. And so keep falsehood from me. Otherwise, I will forget who I am and I will forget where I am. So this prayer is really an awareness to be present and to invite God's guidance where we are right now. Let's pray. Father, these two things really need to be things that I pray as well. That I would be aware of the falsehood that is within me. God, that I would not allow it to taint how I see myself either enslaved or entitled. And Lord, that I would also pray not to have too much or too little, but to be content with where I am, with what I have, more than just contentment, is an awareness of your deliverance in my life today. And God, I pray for us here right now, those who are in places that maybe they are enslaved. They're, they are enslaved to a conversation, a story that they cannot get out of. They cannot change their life. They are stuck. They will not see a better day. Lord, they are enslaved to these circumstances. They see themselves as having too little. They are poor and they are desperate and they are resulting or resolving in themselves that they have to do something desperate to get out of where they're at. Lord, I pray you bring deliverance to them, that you would free their minds to see that they are not stuck, that you have been faithful to your people all your people who have cried out to you throughout history, that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice and you will bring deliverance to them right here, right now, as you have consistently in the past. And Lord, there are some who maybe have a sense of entitlement. Maybe there is a 
lack of awareness. There is a disconnection from you in this regard. That they're so focused on what they can get and what they have and keeping it that they start to create anxiety and worry about things instead of living fully right here. Lord, help them to see that you will care for them in spite of what we have. You care for the birds. You care for the flowers. You will care for us. What's necessary is not to obtain or maintain what we have. What's necessary is to seek first your kingdom, your justice, because you will provide what's needed. Lord, this is wisdom that we need for today. May it shape our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. May you not allow falsehood to take place in your life. May you not be enslaved to what you lack or feel entitled to what you have. But may you be present where you are and allow God to guide you and fill your life with his purpose and joy. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.